Hey, it's Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. It's episode eight. We are right here in the beautiful Loop Studios of Radio DePaul Sports. I am Mike Fleischman. Thank you so much for joining me once again. As it's been this summer, Matt Mellumsetter gone Hollywood. Doing that, uh, doing that big celebrity showbiz thing out there. So instead of introducing Matt Mellumsetter, I've got with me another special guest. It's Gabriel Wilkins from uh, from a whole bunch of places, from Radio to Paul Sports. How are you doing, sir? Doing good. How about yourself? Oh, it's 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 good. I wore a long sleeve shirt yesterday. It was eighty seven degrees with like four hundred percent humidity. So I smartened up today and didn't wear a long sleeve shirt. So I'm gonna, I'm going to do better today than yesterday because I'm basically not marinating myself. Yeah, you'd have made a big mistake doing it today. It's 93 degrees outside, warm, hot and sunny. I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I had a shirt. I needed to wear it, and I, I went with it even though it wasn't the right choice. I looked fantastic, <laughs> if maybe just a bit sweaty. But uh, we're doing uh, we're doing cheese heads in Chicago land. It's still the off season, so we've got uh, very little actual. NFL current events or news to talk to. So I wanted to get you in here to talk a little bit about some of the differences between the NFL and the NBA and and how that relates to to the players and the overall culture of the league because we've seen we've seen particularly in this last year a lot of those def- differences highlighted in how the NFL and the NBA relates between management and players and and how that influences the view in the culture. So I thought that would be be a good way to uh, to have a conversation today. Before we get started on all that, just uh, just tell the folks a little bit about like who the heck are you? Who am I? I'm a writer, I'm a podcast host, I'm a producer of shows. I'm a, I'm a man of many hats. But if you heard of me, you know beforehand, I'm a guy who also covers the Houston Rockets for HoopsHabit.com as part of the fan side and network. Um, been doing that for the last 11 months now. It's been a hell of a ride. Um, just, you know, continuing to progress and looking forward to bigger and better things as, you know, the years go along. And you've got you've got one of my favorite Twitter accounts out of the uh, out of like the local folks that I follow. You've got <laughs> you've, you've always got like you've got something up every day, just like a little thought. And I found like more. More than like four or five things that you've just kind of put in like one sentence on Twitter have made their way into like my my thought process and have made their way like on a microphone, you know, from my brain. So you're at, uh, yeah. You know, where can we follow you on Twitter? Because everyone should. You can follow me at G time underscore one number one. Cool. And so let's let's get started a little bit. Um, I want to start with like the money aspect of the NFL because we were talking a bit about that. It, the Green Bay link is, of course, that Aaron Rodgers is going to get his his contract extension. They're going to uh, they're going to back up the the truck and pay him, which they should. And one of the one of the big differences that I see between the NBA and the NFL is the guaranteed contract situation. And I was I was just hoping like to get a perspective on this because when I look at this, I see, of course, like. This is a major reason why why the NBA and the NFL have have separated is that the the NFL player is viewed as as more disposable than the NBA player in in my mind and it uh it it makes it makes being able to just terminate a contract can make a problem go away if you're management where in, if you're in the NBA you have to view the person as more of a longer term investment, even if it's just for a one a one season deal, you have to pay it. Yeah, especially now. But I think the reason why 
NFL players are just viewed simply as just like commodity goods is because when you think about the average length of a career for an NFL player, like say, for example, running back, it's only at best around four or four and a half seasons. And the nicks and the bruises and the hits in which they take, you know, year after year, they take a pounding on your body. And as a result of that, I feel like that's why you see so many contracts being handed out, but yet also voided as time goes along. Because once a team views you as damaged goods, you know, your career is pretty much over. The NFL is a cutthroat business. It always has been, and I honestly think that it always will be. However, when you talk about the Aaron Rodgers contract situation with the Green Bay Packers, I honestly believe that his contract is what's going to eventually lead to the NFL Players Association and the league eventually going on lockout within at least the next year or year and a half. What what will be specific about his contract that will bring that on? Where where do the uh, where do the dominoes fall for that? I mean, just think about the the player that we're talking about. We're talking about a quarterback who is a bona fide top five quarterback in the game right now, top ten player in the game right now, who, in my opinion, should probably commend a thirty million dollar per year salary. Oh, He's yeah. that damn good. Easily. And as a result, with the market being, you know, relatively barren and hard for guys to get big time money, such as Le'Veon Bell in Pittsburgh, Odell Becker with the New York Giants and so forth, if that happens, you can guarantee yourself that you're gonna see an uproar from fellow players in the league. Not saying that they won't be happy for Rodgers. But you're going to have some guys wondering, well, why isn't my owner or my general manager pulling up the Brinks truck for me like that? Because if the Packers don't do that, then they're in trouble. Yeah, that that is interesting, kind of the, the grievance between not not only like the lesser paid guys, but guys who like, when you talk about Le'Veon Bell, he's maybe one of the top two or three running backs in the game right now. Odell Beckham Jr., he should, he should be getting extremely paid and... That 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 grievance between between the very top guys and and the guys below it is that that's such an interesting driver because I I see a lot of class issues popping up in in the like the whole of the NFL where a lot of the the fringe guys voices don't get heard anymore because of the uh, of the big time salary guys where the fringe guys would be thinking of like Odell Beckham and Le'Veon Bell thinking like oh I wish I had their problems meanwhile guys like Le'Veon Bell and Odell Beckham Jr. like they have a numbers argument just as well of like this team makes or this league makes billions of dollars the uh, the the management of these these leagues are you know we increase the value of the franchises every year on on you know in a huge upward sloping way yet we still are left behind in some way and not only that they're the faces of the sport Mm -hmm. you know when you think about top running backs in the game as you said yourself you think about Le'Veon Bell yeah Jerry Richardson doesn't put his own face yeah you think about Todd Gurley and when you think about top wide receivers you think about Odell Beckham and Antonio Brown and Julio Jones another wide receiver who with the Atlanta Falcons is trying to get paid as well. 
So I just feel like at some point in time, the NFL has to brace itself and get ready for it because it's coming. And as you alluded to in your assessment, this is a billion-dollar entity that owns not only just Sundays, but Thursdays and Mondays with the Thursday Night Football and Monday Night Football series, which is on Fox and ESPN, respectively. So, I mean, what more do players have to bargain for at this point when they've shown their worth, specifically talking about the top players? Yeah, and to to me, the, the incentive has to... There has to be some incentive for the the very top players to start to start feeling a little bit more of, of collective uh, collective feelings with the with the bottom players as well, and I don't I don't know quite how you foster that in the NFL because the top players are thinking long term, the bottom players are thinking next month, next week, next next contract, next opportunity. And I, I think I think the way you do that is through proper representation, through through like uh, players association hires that that bring it together and and can make the case that that what's good for what's good for the bottom guy is also good for you, or at least what's good for the bottom guy is something something worth your something you shouldn't actively fight against. But when you talk about the bottom guy in the NFL, you know, no no knock on the guys that or you know, members of the practice squad or barely made the 53 man roster. But there are a lot of guys who are stars in the NFL currently who came from the bottom. Like Antonio Brown, if I'm not mistaken, was a fifth-round pick out of Central Michigan. Mm-hmm. And while Julio Jones, Odell Beckham, and Aaron Rodgers were first-round draft picks, respectively, you also have guys such as Tom Brady, who, albeit has restructured his contracts year after year in the effort to help the Patriots win, you know, he, he's foregone money, but this was a guy that was a— a pick in the what sixth round? Yeah, yeah. So out of Michigan. So everybody, you know, starts from somewhere along the journey. And you have a lot of guys who, you know, have proven to be steals and gems in later rounds that rise to stardom and they don't even still reap the full benefits and fruits of their hard work and labor because they have Disputes continuously over their given contracts. And I, so I'm I'm of I'm just universally in favor. Like I love strong union representation inside of sports, outside of it. I'm I'm a union guy. You need it. And the I think I I've said this before on this podcast. I truly believe that the anti-union, anti-players association, like pro ownership, pro management uh, push that we see in. In sports world, and and some of the 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 way that the way that the media talks about it, the way that ownership sells and frames this issue, is part of the reason why we've actually seen a a general, or at least it's a canary in a coal mine as as far as we see like the the view of organized labor in the rest of society, and I think it works the other way too. 
if your if your unions and your players associations get better in pro sports, it might uh, you know it might make. Uh, I always use the analogy like it might make uh, some of my relatives at home watching uh, you know watching the NFL on on Christmas with us. You know, it might make it might change their view of unions if they see it doing well for their players, like in their guys and their Packers. I'm not. I think it swings both ways. It does, but then again. I mean, I guess it all depends on which side are you on. Me personally, I'm going to always be on the side of the players. Yes, yeah, Because those are the guys, no disrespect to the owners, and, and, and billionaire owners, might I add, who shell out a lot of dollars to acquire and possess top-tier talent. My, my, I'm always going to be on the side of the, of the players, no, no matter what, because those are the guys that, you know, from – mini camp to training camp in the regular season are putting their bodies and lives on the line not only for the team just to win but to get paid yeah and to and to the yeah the drive to be a great NFL pro is is it you is tied to personality and this is something that Allie and I talked about because we talked about the flag football uh, games that were played last weekend where we got to see and you know what my favorite part and everyone's favorite part I think was Seneca Wallace like throwing six touchdowns and not much the the casual NFL fan like like myself or like people below me kind of know Seneca Wallace a little bit like we've heard the name and we've seen we've seen like you know the he threw like 30 touchdown passes in the NFL so like he had a legitimate NFL career it was a wide receiver too yeah and we got to see a side of Seneca Wallace that we didn't get to see before in this flag football thing because, you know, much like instead of being dressed in the football outfit, which is essentially like armor, which conceals the personality, he was essentially wearing what an NBA player would wear, which allows the personality to be seen a little bit more. This is another thing I think is very important for for bringing the NFL closer to the NBA is to find ways to make the players and their personalities and their identities more visible to people. And not only did you get a chance to see him outside of football pads, you also saw his face, mm-hmm. which is, you know, a conver- similar to a conversation which I had with a fellow friend of mine as well about that's really the biggest difference between the NBA and the NFL. You get a chance to see guys fully without like pads and, and gear on, like nothing's covering their face. You get a chance to get a closer glimpse and look inside, not only through the social media handles, but through you know, the various sneakers in which they wear, the the stuff that they wear before the games, and so forth. Nike has an app, which is the official outfitter of the NBA. They have an app with the NBA where you can, if you have a replica jersey of your favorite player, you can tap it with your iPhone or Droid device, and you can get all these details, information, and like special codes and whatnot that you could use with that player in 2K. Yeah. And get a glimpse of what yeah. they're listening to away from the arena, music-wise and so forth. So I, I, I think, yeah, the, the NBA has the NFL beat by a landslide in that regard, and that's why I feel like it's very important to allow NFL players and superstars, for that matter, the 
opportunity to fully express themselves. Like, we shouldn't just have one game in the NFL where players are allowed to wear their favorite cleats and represent a given charity. If DeAndre Hopkins, who's an Adidas athlete, wants to wear Yeezys on the field, let him wear Yeezys. Yeah, this 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 is this is so big for me because it's I'm a guy who came to came to like the business of working in sports l- later in life. I came to it because I I loved watching it and and I was a, I was a sports fan and the thing that like I've always been I've always been a supporter of the players, but even I like when I got up close and like met athletes and met athletes with DePaul and have met you know the athletes in high school working with regional radio sports network and and you know other college athletes working with them like I'm still like I still had preconceptions shattered by 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 getting up close and personal and just asking questions of people and and getting their answers you know a a lot of assumptions get shattered just by being able to to hear people's stories and to get it directly from them and a part of that is is just being able to see them up close and and be able to see you you can learn a lot about a basketball player watching basketball on television but when you are 20 feet away from the game it changes it changes even further and there's you know I like the flag football thing because I think it brought brought us a little bit closer to NFL players than ever before I I thought of the big 3 league in NBA as well because not only are you already dealing with like well-established guys that a lot of whom like have reputations with fans? You've also made it three on three. You've removed two extraneous players and brought personal identity even closer to the fans by reducing the amount of players involved in it. And the players are actually able to connect with the fans of the big three at a far better level, in my opinion, than even the NBA, because after you see Steven Jackson and Chauncey Billups, you know, knocking down shots from beyond the arc with the killer threes, you might see them, you know, giving a fan a hot dog or uh, snapping a selfie with a given, you know, spectator and shouting them out on IG or what have you. So I, I think that's very cool. And you don't get those opportunities with the NFL. However, I do feel like there are ways in which the NFL can kind of circumvent that and still be able to introduce us to the players at a you know far greater level than what they've shown yeah. initiative to within the last decade. Do you think the Players Tribune website is a good uh, a good template for that giving players like a chance with the written word to uh, to bring that out a little bit more? I'm cool with players expressing themselves in the written word or however they want to. You know, if you want to do it through a commercial, do it through a commercial. I feel like Julio Jones is one of the coolest NFL players in the game to me. You know, here's a guy who, when he was at the Super Bowl, laced up sneakers, uh, 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 excuse me, cleats, Under Armour cleats, that was specially designed paying homage to the city of Atlanta and the culture known as trap music with Migos and did a commercial with them and they did a song in his honor and whatnot with Champ Sports. I thought that that was really fun and cool, and it showed the impact in which an NFL athlete can still have on that market. Because if you think about it, before him, it was primetime with Deion Sanders, and it was Michael Vick. Mm-hmm. Julio could be that guy. But 
you know, I don't feel like the league seeks to capitalize off of that. I feel like that's something that typically happens through agency and PR trying to figure out a way in which they could put their athlete, such as Julio Jones, out into the forefront. You've seen the league actively work against that kind of thing. Uh, as we've seen, we've seen the press leading up to the the Hall of Fame. T.O. is going in, and it's it's kind of prompted a a wave of stories about T.O. And I saw the picture the other day of his touchdown celebration where he grabbed the thing of popcorn and uh, and and sort of you know flung it over his when face. When he was in Dallas, that was and I immediately I'm just grinning ear to ear because that was awesome. That was absolutely incredible. It made me remember how much I liked Owens and and how much and here's a guy who who very much like Randy Moss like was never never a guy that you could root for as a Packers fan, but even that like even that rivalry when you know you're facing off against a guy who's not only like dynamic but he's cool as heck and the league, I think T.O. and the league, a lot of the, the no-fun league, no-touchdown celebration policies, you can trace it right to, to guys like T.O. And, and Randy Moss, who dared to have fun and dared to show personality on the field. And that's something I think where the league, the, the league needs to stop trying to make people not be themselves while playing the game. And don't forget about Chad Johnson. Oh, no. Who made the game... You know, just as much entertaining and worth tuning into by what he was doing in the weeks leading up to Sundays, where he was like, "Well, who's gonna cover '85 and '05?" When he stepped onto the scene, you know, with the Cincinnati Bengals, it was like no corner can cover me, and was doing a river dance here in Chicago while the Bengals were kicking the Bears behind. Oh yeah! So like you know, <laughs> it, it, it's always been about you know style. And, and, and substance within the game, particularly involving black athletes across sports, period. Not just the NFL, not just the NBA, but even with Major League Baseball. You see guys like Ken Griffey wearing backwards hats. Like, that wasn't, he wasn't the first guy to do that, but he brought it into the forefront for mainstream America. That was, that was controversial. Like to that, some. Yeah. And, and you know, if we're, if we're going to talk about like, you know where I was when that was happening. I was in the places where it was controversial. I was around the people to whom it was controversial at the <laughs> time, and I. So you know, you see that this is a. You know, I, I like to say I, I grew up in a. I grew up in a place where like, where our exposure to uh, to uh, black culture, to hip hop, and those kind of things was through the nightly news and being talked about in hushed, scandalous tones. <laughs> Have you heard? Have you heard about? Uh, have you heard about this group NWA out of Los Angeles? And you know, us, us like 11, 12, 13 year olds are like, we need this. Like it has made our parents and made all these these you know stodgy folks around us like we need to find out what this is all about because it seems to be making all these these boring grown ups very upset right now. Which is, I've 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 kept that with me too because because I just. Anything that brings out like actual personality in in sports, like anyone trying to like tamp that down, I still just reflexively am like, you don't need to do that. 
You don't need to put a 15-yard penalty on a guy because he had a very good idea for like a fun touchdown celebration because he dared to indicate that he enjoys what he does for a living. That and then, you know, I have an issue personally with players getting fined for shoes and cleats not matching with team uniform. We just saw that like, with do the... Do you know how many players in the NBA wear shoes on a nightly basis that don't match with the team uniform? I don't think anybody cares about that. No, no one needs to care about that. The NFL doesn't need to care about that. And you know, when, when we talk about like the, the NFL, I'm going to try, try a segue here, see how comfortable I can make this segue. When we talk about like the NFL trying to tamp down player culture... You can look at like the NFL corporate culture up on top of it, and you know if we're looking for a place where there are some problems, <laughs> that's where I'm finding the problems. That's where I see the problems. We've I've watched, uh, I've Papa John is like the worst. <laughs> like his whole deal is is so disgusting, and he was so deeply in bed with the NFL, and you know it was it was. You know, not just not just like the the current thing with Papa John, but also his business practices and the way he's the way he's treated his workers, and the way he's treated his employees. You know, the NFL was more than willing to to get in bed with him. He was you know he was clearly paying for access to guys like Peyton Manning and such, so that he could inflate his own ego through all of it and and wealth and and absolutely and wealth. You know, but the the commercials where he's just like he's clearly just paying to stand next to Peyton Manning, and like if you're looking for like a problem with culture, like you know, don't tell me that Terrell Owens is the problem because he has popcorn or that he had a sharpie in his sock to sign a football. That's awesome. Like, but this stuff with this stuff with Papa John, that's that is that is our problem. That's where the problem is. And isn't it funny to you with all that's come out on Papa John's over like the last 24 hours? Isn't it surprising to you that like that before that even came out, the NFL, who probably knew about Papa John's culture to begin with due to the fact that they once had a sponsorship with them, a kicked them to the side to open up the door for Pizza Hut to serve as the official pizza sponsor of the NFL now. <laughs> and, and yeah, I've I'm I'm a man who has worked for Pizza Hut, and while I don't have any specific complaints with the uh, with the one that I worked for, I thought I thought I I was I was having fun at the time. It was just a, a fun fun job between actual jobs, but like as as if their corporate culture is any any less what it is with Papa John's. They just don't have like a a clear egomaniac at the top of their corporate structure dictating that his face and his identity sell everything to them quite the way that, that good old Papa John Schnatter did. Oh, that guy. <laughs> Such a greasy, greasy man. <laughs> it's, a, it's really a lot of issues that I have with the league as a whole right now. And I was thinking about it to myself prior to coming on the podcast with you. Just about like the last time I was actually excited to watch NFL football and truth be told I haven't really been excited to watch football in almost three years since when I saw Cam Newton lead the Carolina Panthers to the Super Bowl and route to winning his first NFL most valuable player award 
that was that was fun for me too. I lived in North Carolina, and wa- watching him put it together that season was uh, was so good because my my problem with Cam Newton was the the breakdowns in technique that would lead to his worst mistakes. In that, it, and they seem to happen in the more in the more crucial moments. And watching that, watching him turn that corner. And you know the talent around him helped as well, but but the uh, you know throwing off your back foot over you know when you can't see downfield because a defensive end is right in your face with his hands up, throwing like a weak wobbler down you know into the hands of a linebacker, like that's watching him like turn that corner was so so cool after because you watch a lot of Carolina Panthers games when you're there. And not only just that, he was the face of the league. He, yeah, you know he, what I'm saying? Yep. Like he had kids, black and white, doing a dab. And people trying to figure out what it was. We're still trying know? to recover from and, that. And, and, and that's the type of thing that you need within the sport. Although you had people then who were seeking to ridicule and throw shade on his name for doing it. I mean, it, it, you got to let the players express themselves. And I feel like we're slowly working towards that with, you know, right now across sports as a whole and I think the NFL is getting a little bit better but they still got some progress to make my feeling my feeling is is that I talked about this a bit yesterday with Allie as well we were talking about NFL suspension and discipline culture because uh, Aaron Jones of the Packers just got two games for stemming from a marijuana arrest from last season yeah and and the idea is that the with the NFL, the the small, the small infractions being treated in such a stupid way, like like Jones and you know suspensions for for drugs that are in the greater culture almost completely non issues anymore. Uh, and hopefully, hopefully it becomes that. But in some places, in California and Denver and such, like it's it's become like marijuana is a normal thing these days. Legalized and. and it, the the small things invalidate the big things. Like if you can't trust the NFL to handle something as simple as like a player getting arrested on a misdemeanor like personal drug charge, then you don't trust them to handle anything bigger than that. And it work it it swings the other way too when you're talking about about like if if you let the players express themselves and their personalities and you let that be more a function of your game you are going to be also better equipped to handle it when the players start to express themselves not just through like celebration or like fun time stuff but when they start to really speak their minds and give you like give you spiels about what really matters to them of course talking about Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed and those guys like and you're going if you if you create a culture in which the player is more free to express themselves, any way that they choose to express themselves is going to become less of an issue that causes just this, oh, panic. I would agree with that. But then again, a lot of people are going to panic regardless. It's just like Deion Sanders said when he got inducted into the Hall of Fame. When you're promoting change, it's going to be haters. It's going to be naysayers. Oh, yes. Um... That comes with the territory. People don't condone, like he said, what they've never seen. He was saying, I tried to do things that people had never seen. And how he created his image, not even out of personal greed or want for fame, but so he could take care of his mother. 
And that's the thing that a lot of people I don't think understands that you talking about a lot of athletes within the NFL. What the league is made out of made up of, out of what seventy five percent of African American players, mm-hmm. most of whom come from poverty stricken environments, most of who come from the rural South, and had to fight and struggle just to make it to this point in which where they are today. Something that I've I've asked people are kind of when when I encounter like the Kaepernick resistance, the resistance to what he's doing or the support for the uh, the league, which absolutely blacklisted him. Um, official cheeseheads in Chicago and position on that is is that um, what I ask is that like you, know, you you hear all these news reports on Kaepernick and you know the national news. What I ask is like, have you ever heard a national politician ask or a national reporter or a national network ever broadcast Colin Kaepernick's answer to the question of why do you do this activism? I have because I have never heard it on a national scale. Like he he's asked that question and that that question's been published. Like he has an answer for it. It's a beautiful answer, and it's it's you know it, it is deeply like it is deeply personal to him. His commitment to it is 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 just outstanding. It's it's a beautiful lesson to anyone who wants to change their world. But you do not hear it. It's just it's not out there for you if you're just a national news consumer. I've heard the message personally, but I don't think other people care to hear it, particularly people who don't stand with him on the matters and issues that be, because it goes back to what I was saying with the Deion Sanders, you know, Hall of Fame speech in 2011. Yeah, people San- don't condone what they've never seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sanders is another great thing, because Sanders was very scandalous <laughs> to uh, to to. You know, the folks around me when I was growing up and, and it's just another great, like, great example of, of it's just you see you see the photos of Kaepernick kneeling with the cry on underneath of like NFL players protest flag and there's always some sort of voiceover on it. But where's his voice on the national scale? Like if you make it OK for players to have personalities in the good times, you make it OK for them to have it in the bad times. Which is really what they don't want to see. They don't want to see that. It's just like you look at guys like Marshawn Lynch, who's been able to bank off of his personality extremely well, which is kind of funny because he's a guy who who really doesn't care about talking to the media, but yet for every one of his fans, he has a slew full of hate and spectators who... Don't give a damn about him. And, you know, they want to make the argument, well, it's the way he expresses himself. It's the way he does things. When I see Marshawn Lynch, all I see is an embodiment of a guy that grew up in Oakland. Yeah, I, 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 see, I see a guy who has figured out that, uh, that a, a lot of the media isn't going isn't gonna to tell his story anyway. Not going to tell a story. Doesn't have time for it. Not going to tell a story. And sometimes the media has a bad habit of taking words in which you say and using it against you or misquoting you. And that's where it becomes a problem. And that's why I like or I don't mind, shall I say, platforms such as the Players' Tribune, in which allow players to express themselves and stay how they feel on issues and matters that be. Because you do need that. And that's really the purpose in which 
those platforms serve for players to express their own voice and thoughts on opinions surrounding issues how they see fit yeah I, to to me a part of a part of why sports matters is that it doesn't you cannot you can't change society solely through sports you can't but, I agree with that but sports is a reflection of our world and if you want to like i've i've it's it's kind of a small thing but if you like if you want to get if you want to the, the Deion Sanders thing if you want to show someone something they've never seen before and you want to to slowly get something into the conversation entertainment broadcasts you know, it entertainment broadcasts the sort of ideas to folks in in a way where they're not being lectured about it they're it's not class time it's they're having fun but you're still absorbing things you know your brain notices things even when you don't like sports is a place where where like hearing people's voices and experience matters because Sports is a place where for, you know, for a lot of white America, like people of color's voices and faces become more represented in their lives in those situations than than most likely many or all others for uh, for some folks in, in some communities. And that like there's the NFL trying to tamp that down. That's why it grates at me so much is that like this is not only is football great, but it's a, it's a venue for for like broadening broadening the experience of everyone. It is. And, and I agree with that. Not and, and to add to your point, sports is probably, including NFL, one of the very few things that bring people from all backgrounds and walks of life together mm-hmm. outside of music. And that's what makes it so special and unique. Although hard to watch as a black male now not just because of how they handled the situation involving Colin Kaepernick but the way in which they've decided to handle matters in which the players who are predominantly black find to be of importance to them like you can't just shell money out and think that that solves the problem because it doesn't and I think we all know why that was done which was to shut players up however the fight will continue on and this is just another spot where the the NBA is so much so much closer to doing something the right way than the NFL and that like they found out that if you if you let players do what they're into, if you let players speak on what they want to speak on, whether it's, you know, certainly some NBA players, they want to, you know, they want to like go to the, go to a restaurant, play 2K. They want, you know, they want to just, they want to have fun or like they, they, they want to have their own hobbies. Some of them are deeply involved in, in social, social justice issues. Like they do what they want. They promote all of it and it all just becomes, acceptable like there's it, everything balances out a little bit more and you know the, uh, the 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 strident opinions and the things that are more confrontational are are 
are less tabloidized because it is it is in a in a context in a situation where everyone is just a bit more open to to do what they're to do what they're into do what they're into and while they do have some rules like they do have to stand for the national anthem it's ways in which they can get around that by interlocking arms to show peace and solidarity with their fellow brethren and you're right you do have a lot of players that are you know eager to help out in regards to social matters and issues such as Carmelo Anthony Chris Paul LeBron James has been an advocate so many others even below that level even Ricky Rubio in Utah doing things with the community out in Salt Lake City and even during his time with with the Minnesota Timberwolves I mean it's it's really a night and day difference and I I don't think it takes the average um, a casual you know fan to notice that it's definitely a difference and like I said earlier it's no doubt in my mind that the NFL most certainly has a long way to go the only question is is if you're a fan and you really care about the issues ask yourself where do we begin yeah, and part of it is you know, there. There is a there is a conflict in me of of I I do this podcast about the Packers. I like the game of football. I like watching it. I do avoid giving the NFL my money. <laughs> <laughs> I I I readily admit that, and I, I I watch the games. I I read about it. I I try to make this. I try to. I'm trying to make this podcast focus on players and performances, much like the radio show. Is that I? I really want this to be about like the accomplishments of the players and also you know the situations in their in their struggle with the ownership. Like I, I don't want this to be just a place where I just blindly promote like the NFL line or anything because because it is it is the player experience that that brings me to it and like it is it is the matchups and it's. It's it's the whole culture of like the the fifty three guys and the coaching staff, it doing what they do and everything that entails. That's that's really interesting. Like, you know, Jerry, you know, Jerry Richardson's private charter flights and uh, you know, craft craft with the Patriots. Like, like those guys' lives don't don't make for interesting content, and they don't make for good television, and they don't make for good podcasting. <laughs> And, and, I, and I think it's cool what you're doing here, man. I, I really do. And I, I think that's great because you need, you know, platforms that shed light on matters such as these that people oftentimes forget about and why it's, you know, been widely publicized and is a sexy topic to talk about, I guess, now with all the issues that, you know, be within society, you know, it doesn't hurt to, you know, continue to bring those conversations back up and into the forefront um, when they need to be and I think it's a conversation that you know should be had and must be had and I mean I, I've gone to NFL games within the last couple of years haven't paid for any of my tickets but um, which is a blessing but it's a game honestly that's made for television it really works on it's television. It's the perfect game for television. I'm and a, always I, has been, always will be. I'm going to be doing uh, live football uh, broadcasts this fall for uh, for high school stuff. Hopefully, cross your fingers on that one, but that I get that that works out the way that we're planning on it. Uh, I am terrified because <laughs> uh, I I have 
I've seen live football a little bit, but I understand the game of football because the television has graphical overlays and such. And I just know that there's going to be a learning curve of being in front of a football game where I'm just in a press box looking down at a field and I can see the clock, I can see the score, I can see the down, but everything else... I've got to uh, got to start keeping myself. I've got to be my own, be my own graphics department, and and a lot of the things that we take for granted when we see it are going going to go away. So, uh, yeah, if if I'm uh, if I'm scared if I'm scared in mid July, that means by uh, by mid August I have to have done a lot more reading <laughs> than I have already. I think you'd be prepared for the job. Yeah, I probably will be. <laughs> I'm. Uh, I try. I try to try to keep it keep it serious, but oh foot. Like, just television, the first downline, all these, all these things that have made it so digestible. Like, its growth has been the growth of television. Like, there's a, you can, you can understand a lot of sports a lot better. Like baseball, baseball, you don't need television because I really think that at all in the stands is the best way to watch baseball. It is. Used to be fun to watch on television for me growing up as a kid, but as I've gotten older, it's a much better game than watching in person. It's a game you got to have a lot of patience to watch too. <laughs> yeah, or uh, or beer, <laughs> whichever. We're gonna take a quick break. We we went for a while, so we're gonna come back from this break, and we're just gonna hit some uh, hit some quick uh, quick Packers Bear stuff, and then I'll let you get the heck out of here. Uh, it's Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. We'll be back after these. Um, there are no messages, so we're not gonna be back after these messages. What about what about the amount of shade that the media is currently throwing at Cutler for his sort of like a co-starring role in his uh, in his wife's reality show? My favorite headline was a CBS headline that was uh, reality TV star Jay Cutler probably done with NFL career. Like they're just straight up. He's not former NFL quarterback Jay Cutler. He's reality TV star Jay Cutler. That is a a colossal amount of shade. I mean, do you see him returning to the NFL? Because no. I don't. No, absolutely I not. I don't. No, I, I don't. I don't see him. I don't see him coming back. And I've I've always been like Cutler doesn't move the needle for me very much. In that, like, yeah, he's an above average quarterback. He may, you know, he's good to possibly very good at times, and also just had his had his struggles. And as we were just before I press play a record again here, like never had consistency. In uh, in like what the offensive scheme was, who his coach was. I mean, un- Mark Tressman, are you kidding me? That's nonsense. Uh, it's it's Cheeseheads in Chicagoland, by the way. Uh, we're we're on Twitter. We're at Cheesecagoland. Follow us there. We mainly uh, mainly are going to tweet when we put out episodes, so it's like a little alert notification for you. We have a Facebook group. It's called Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. I am on Twitter. I'm Mike Fleischman, by the way, here with Gabriel Wilkins. I'm on Twitter at MP Fleischman. That's M-P-F-L-E-I-S-C-H-M-A-N. 
N. Um, mainly, mainly it's jokes that are funnier in my head before I actually type them out is what my Twitter feed is. And I'm here with Gabriel Wilkins. You're on Twitter at GTime underscore one writer for uh, for Hoops Habit and the Houston Rockets all around uh, all around man about town. Uh, I want to I want to get a little prognostication from you here. But uh, before I do, I just, just I, I try to throw out like the occasional fun question. Megan Waldron of Radio DePaul Sports taught me how to do this because we'd just be like doing games and be like, "What's your favorite band?" <laughs> and so like, I, I, want, I want to take that forward. I I've been uh, I've been eating far too much red licorice right now because that's like my absolute favorite garbage snack. So <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of like polling people like, "Do you have like an absolute favorite garbage snack?" Where even as you're eating it, you're like, "This is the worst idea I've had all week." I wouldn't say it's the worst idea, but one of my favorite snacks is definitely Reese's. I'm not much of a candy guy at all. The uh, the I cups do, or the the pieces? The cups. Okay, I like the pieces, but yeah, a couple <laughs> do. A couple do every once in a while. And York peppermint patties. I don't eat them often, but when I do, those are like my mm. garbage go to snacks. <laughs> Yeah, I should never have bought that big big bag of licorice. <laughs> That's my mistake this week. Um, I'm gonna get to some just some some small NFC North stuff in in general. I this was a conversation Ellie and I were having uh, on the on the previous episode. I was looking for I was looking for a comparison for Mitch Trubisky and what we've seen out of his game under center so far for the Bears. I'm trying to find it like another quarterback in the league that that he reminds me of. I was having a, a tough time with this, like possibly like Ryan or Tannehill, but also just with the arm strength and the the way that he is he's he's bigger than he seems. That I, it might be a little bit of a Ben Roethlisberger thing, especially if he were to to bulk up and slow down a little bit in the next five years. I see a little bit of Roethlisberger, although Roethlisberger is a little bit bigger for sure and and much more taller in the pocket. I feel like than Trubisky is. As far as a comparison, I would say he's kind of like a blend. Between Ryan Tannehill to me and a little bit of Aaron Rodgers, the only difference is I don't think he's the passer or the type of passer that Aaron Rodgers is by any means at this point in his career. But his ability to make plays in the pocket combined with the ability to make some plays with his feet Those makes the, him yeah. kind of like a, a dual threat quarterback, if you will. Those are the flashes that... that he made exciting plays. I'm not a Bears fan by any stretch of the imagination, but watching him make make some exciting plays and make those very instinctive plays last season down the stretch where all of a sudden he just, you know, feels some pressure coming from behind him, steps up, steps through, and then like on the run, like whips a deep ball downfield and does it see like does it in rhythm and does it very naturally. You see that and you're like Okay, that's not something that you coach particularly. That's that's the instinctive stuff. That's the reason for the trade up and the draft. And I do, yeah, I do see a bit of a bit of Rogers. I I hold out on Rogers comparisons with quarterbacks because he's just been a magician so long, and he's you know, so dear to my heart. <laughs> but uh, it's it's that in, that that instinctive ability, and also like with with the Roethlisberger comparison, it was kind of like the the ability to. To have your legs doing one thing and just rely purely on the arm strength to get it downfield, that Trubisky has that already. 
and that's something that can be uh, be pretty dangerous, especially when you're when you do have that good instinct to where where you want to move to. Yeah, the only difference I would say between him and, and Roethlisberger, in my opinion, is Roethlisberger is just able to like shed guys off of him and still make throws. Yeah, just haul them like, downfield with him. He can have three guys coming between him. He's a hard man to bring down. And not to say that Trubisky isn't, because he is a big, sturdy guy. He has a you know Midwestern-type build for your average quarterback. I would say that's an NFL pro. But I don't see that just, just as much. And while I would compare him to Rodgers, it's not a full comparison. I, I think he's just a blend between, I would say, Ryan Tannehill and Aaron Rodgers at the moment. But I'm pretty sure that he wants to be his own guy and be that guy that, you know, we compare future NFL quarterbacks to within the next four to five years. Yeah, this this season, I'm, I'm going to have my eye on the Bears because they, they're they the team that is the biggest question mark to me in the NFC North. I, I really, the Vikings are my just the grudging rival right now where I've I've been preaching this since we started episode one. They've made the right moves in in every situation. They had a three-headed monster at quarterback, nothing but question marks. And instead of making one of those choices, they made an entirely different choice. They just like all three of their question marks, they tossed them over their shoulder, got Kirk Cousins. Like these are these are smart moves and you just respect like their organization is right where they want to be. They think their window's right right now. The Bears, their window isn't right now. But this season is going to tell us quite a lot about what's what's happening there. And so I was I was kind of wondering like what your read on on the Bears is particularly like if you if you're seeing anything that like maybe I'm not seeing as a guy who's like not rooting for them like who who is who is going to really pop out this year? Who should we be watching for that we haven't like read the headlines about? For the Bears, yeah, I would honestly say watch out for Allen Robinson. Although he is a player that has been in the headlines because he's the newest addition and the number one receiver in the Bears wide receiving core. I say that's a guy that you watch out for because if I'm not mistaken, he tore his ACL last year and his final season with Jacksonville. It was a contract year for him, big year, first game of the season. I think that's a guy that's going to have a lot to prove. And what better way to prove it by submitting yourself as that top-tier playmaker for Mitch Trubisky under center? who desperately needs one. Because if I'm not mistaken, last year Kendall Wright was the Bears' leader in receiving yards, and he only finished with a little over 600. I believe it was 614. And that's not going to cut it. No, This year if the Bears seek to, you know, move upward within the NFC North and possibly compete for the division crown, if not a wild card berth. They're going to need everything and more from him in addition to the other additions such as Taylor Gabriel and Trey Burton at the tight end slot um, overall I'm, I'm just anxious to see the, the team as a whole it's a lot of new faces a lot of young blood on the team something that I feel like was needed definitely gonna keep my eyes out on Roquan Smith number one overall pick for the Bears out of Georgia Inside linebacker, I think he's going to provide them with a big physical presence 
you know, um, around that middle area of the defense, if they can find a way to just play Mazda the midway defense through a full 60-minute affair and that offense is able to move the chains, hey, this is a team that could possibly win eight to nine games next season. Best case scenario. I've got them picked at four. I've got them. I've I got them too. at four and twelve. Um, Whoa, four and twelve. Yeah, uh, they have to play. They have to play the uh, the Packers and the Vikings twice. That's true. And and that that to me is 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 where they run into trouble. And also the uh, now the Lions. Can, I think the Lions are trending downward in a hurry at the moment, but. Um, that's that's just a, a feeling I have as much as anything. Sorry, Brendan, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I yeah they have six games against the Packers, Vikings, and Lions, and if they're one and five in those games, I'm I'm not surprised. I I, I think this is I I think it's next year that we're that you know that I'm worried about the Bears, and and less so this year, but. Um, I'm maybe not the best prognosticator in the world, but that's just been my feeling for the Bears is that this is the year where they they actually they're they're fielding like a, a full NFL worthy roster, and but too many of these guys are either too young or have never been around been around a culture that was much good. But you know, Allen Robinson now, like he's. Yeah, he's come in with the right way. They have they have a head coach that people seem to like and are are putting faith in quickly. That to me is the change of like if you if you do that year one, that's that's a bit much to ask. Like year one is the year where everyone stops being just fatalistic. I didn't say they were gonna win nine games. I said that's the best case scenario. Okay. A lot of people think that they're gonna finish third in this city. I'm not one of them. I agree with you. I think that they will finish fourth. I see a six and ten, seven and nine type of season. With that being said, I wouldn't write off Detroit though. And let me tell you why. Matt Stafford, as much as people want to give him flack and, you know, throw a lot of dirt on his name because he's the highest paid quarterback in the game. Oh, he's he real is, good. He's an efficient quarterback. He's good. When you provide him with help, he proves that he's, you know, pretty darn good at his craft. Um, Golden Tate, fairly solid receiver. Marvin Jones Jr., fairly solid receiver. Kenny Galladay, a rookie, and a guy who I went to high school with, shout out to St. Rita High School, by the way. He only played a handful of games his rookie season. Broke onto the scene with a big-time game in the season opener last year against the Arizona Cardinals. I believe he had three touchdowns in that game. I expect to see a big year out of him. And that defense with Ziggy Anza and Darius Slay, who's a primetime shutdown corner, and I believe led the league in interceptions and route to an all-pro and pro bowl caliber year, they're, they're going to be tough. All they needed was some direction, and maybe they could get that with Matt Patricia in line as their new head coach there, guy who comes from New England, build it. A solid defense with the Patriots. Help guys like Malcolm Butler get paid out in Tennessee. Devin McCourty had all pro years under him. I think this is a, a team that 
could possibly sneak up around that top two tier within the NFC North and maybe challenge Minnesota. Because even though I like Minnesota and the moves which they made, Kirk Cousins has to prove that he can win when the money's on the line. You the big guy now. You the $84 million man in the Twin Cities. It's time to show and prove. You haven't led a team to like the playoffs fully. And when, yeah. when you did play the playoffs, you got crushed by the Green Bay Packers in the wild card round when you were with the Redskins. He's a, yeah, he's a guy with the with the skins who's possibly the the Washington Redskins are possibly the worst professional franchise now now that uh, Sterling doesn't own the Clippers anymore. Uh, <laughs> he's coming out of what is just an absolutely on fire situation there in that like they you know they just have the most mendacious ownership I've ever come across. So Snyder's yeah, I do really think that that Minnesota and and Zimmer and no one on Minnesota seems to have any illusions about what their place is and what their role is and what their their meaning to the team is, which is something that I think like it's what Mike Zimmer somehow like handled handled that situation with the you know the the huge quarterback questions that they had between uh, between you know Keenum and and everything. He handled that without without any trouble. Like they they always kind of knew the answers. Nothing like blew up in his face, and I think that sort of situation for Cousins is going to help him quite a bit because the drive is there and the talent is there, but the 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 people around him got way better. And yeah, it, it is a question: Is he going to step up and respond to it, or is you know is is he a is he an elite guy or not? He's but he's got the receivers, he's got the running backs, and boy, does he have the defense to uh, give him the ball with short fields. And with Dalvin Cook, you know, coming back healthy off of his return from a torn ACL last year, who's one of my favorite rookies in the league prior to him going down, with him coming back, that is definitely a nice security blanket to have in, in the backfield. And a team that I think is, you know, talented enough to get back to the NFC championship game should they seek to? Um, Romo Romo has the Super Bowl picked. You know, it's the middle of July, but he picked Packers versus Jaguars for the Super Bowl. Um, it's it's an audio only medium, but Gabriel just made a face. Uh, which it, I don't mind that pick. It's it's uh, it's I don't it's mind a that pick. pick. I was uh, it, it kind of led my quest leads to my question of like that's that's Romo throwing throwing something out there that you don't expect. I was wondering like who. In your in your mind, like who should we have our eyes on? Like, what team is really going to sneak up on us this year? I think, I think uh, Garoppolo and the 49ers might surprise us a little bit, especially with the some of the other, you know, with the Seahawks trending downwards in in that uh, in that division. So, but who do you have? Like, who who's going to surprise us this year? I don't mind that pick. I think Jacksonville is definitely one of the top teams in the NFC. I still, I mean, in the AFC, excuse me. I think New England is still the team to beat, as they proved mm-hmm. for the last several seasons. They, they're a team that's made it to seven straight AFC title games. But the team that I think that people should have their eyes out on next season is the Tennessee Titans. Okay. We're talking about a team that went into Arrowhead last year in the wild card round led behind the presence of Marcus Mariota and came back from 20-plus down to get a big-time win. 
and has, you know, pieces around him that could prove to be vital game changers and tough to stop on the offensive end with Derrick Henry, the Heisman Trophy winner out of Alabama, is the lead runner in their backfield. He's going to be a tough guy for safeties to tackle throughout all four quarters because he's coming at you. And he's a north-south style runner. And if he runs like he showed signs of during Wild Card Weekend all season long, I think he's a guy that's on pace to have a big year. It could have a 1,000-yard type season in the Music City. I also like Corey Davis. Uh, the receiver out of Western mm-hmm. Michigan, he was he played a handful of games, played pretty well, but was banged up a little bit. I feel like if he, you know, gets stronger, he he could be a guy that can emerge as their number one receiver. Their defense is stacked with Brian Arapoe, um, Bird is the corner and whatnot. Uh, they got they got a lot of pieces over there that, uh, alongside of Houston in the AFC South, that could prove to make that race. A very interesting and exciting one to watch in 2018. Yeah, Houston, that was such a tragedy last year uh, with with what happened at Houston because that was that was shaping up to be uh, be they were shaping up to be a good team. Now is the time in the AFC. We kind of know who's on top of the NFC right now. We know we know who the players are. We know there's like established dynasties, but with um, you know, the, the Denver Broncos currently a little bit rudderless, the uh, the Indianapolis Colts and Andrew Luck, nothing but question marks over there. Tennessee, Jacksonville, Houston, like these are these are the times for these these second and third tier teams to to step up and challenge because the uh, the door's wide open right now. It's it's a uh, for as rough as this offseason has been, and for as as rough for as much as like. Everything that you know, every complaint I have about the NFL, I I feel of course is legitimate because I <laughs> made it. But like, it's a good league, and there are there are exciting things happening once uh, once the whistle blows and once we kick it off. I feel like the league is open in general. I'm not counting on New England by any means, and maybe it's because I'm a big Tom Brady fan and I'm a big Patriots fan. If I had to pick a team that I do watch religiously every single week, it's New England. But it's an opening door in the AFC. And mm-hmm. also the NFC. I don't think it's any guarantees. Like, sure, you have the the Packers and the Vikings. And you have the Eagles who won the Super Bowl last year in, in spectacular fashion. But you also have a team like the Carolina Panthers who still possess a strong defense and an all-pro quarterback in Cam Newton that could do some damage out in the NFC South alongside of the Atlanta Falcons with Matt Ryan, who had they had their offense clicking and rolling out in the city of brotherly love, they probably could have made it back to the Super Bowl the second straight year in a row. Yeah, L.A. Rams. It, it, it's it's, it's interesting. I think it's very interesting, if not much more interesting in the NFC than it is the AFC. Yeah, it's I I'm I follow the NFC a lot closer. To me, the difference is is proven versus unproven. Like we know Cam Newton can play. We know Matt Ryan and the Falcons have the pedigree. Uh, we yeah we know the Vikings and the Packers are are spectacular. The Eagles are a bit of an upstart, but outside of the quarterback situation, they're like we know that team's good. Yeah, we knew on paper they were going to be awesome all year. It's just that they the, that they did it without their starting quarterback that was the part that was really surprising but 
LA. LA is my my wild card in that like they I don't know if we quite understand how good they are yet. I think I do. They have a no fly zone with Marcus Peters and a key to leave in the secondary. And when you put Nadama Kansu alongside of Aaron Donald in your front seven, oh. <laughs> that is a scary tandem to think about if you're a quarterback. Oh, and it's just what Sue needs as well. Here's another guy who like just just the most natural born rival. You know, if if you're a Packers fan, like you know him lining up against you on the Lions, like. Like that's the kind of thing where like the guy sort of becomes the legendary villain in your mind, and as uh, he is on the back half of his career now, can still be effective. But next to Aaron Donald, just where else is he going to go to make him more like to maximize what he can do right now than right there on that line with Donald? Oh my goodness! And it doesn't hurt to have a top five running back either, and Todd Gurley in your backfield alongside of a quarterback and. Jason Goff, or Jerry Goff, I should say, out of California, third-year pro, second season under center, full season will be this year. Doesn't help that uh, hurt to have that at all either. No. Uh, also, shout-out to Jason Goff, right. the, uh, the <laughs> former score, uh, score host. Yes, indeed. Um, well, he, he's got to get back on the radio. He's awesome. Um, and um, am I have kind of kind of fallen off of thinking that the Cowboys were were making an upward trend. I don't know as kind of a, a final thing as we as my I'm looking at the clock going like boy this podcast can't go much longer than this. <laughs> People are going to get bored. Yeah. Um, but are are you with me in that like I've kind of stopped being optimistic on on what Dallas is doing right now? I actually like what Dallas is doing right now uh-huh. and and I and I feel like it is a reason for optimism because this was a team that was in contention for a wild card spot in the playoffs prior to Ezekiel Elliott getting a suspension, like towards the tail end of the season in which he yeah, initially and then, and then fought against and won the appeal only to have it overturned. And I feel like after that, it just killed their season. Yeah, to me, it's to me with the Cowboys, it's it's the I've yet to see them like replacing. Talent and now uh, Jason Witten retiring, I think is I, I don't think they have quite enough on on the offense without Witten because that was just that was a rock in their in their entire plan. Like they're in, it seemed like half of their offensive game plan was getting to third and long and get bailed out by Jason Witten and not not having that. Like I just don't I don't think Cole Beasley <laughs> answers your questions down there and you know, they've. And Terrence Williams and whatnot. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that that answers your questions. And much like the Lions, I just don't think they have enough on the defensive front to make anyone on offense have to like really react to what they do right now. And those are good points. You know, I, I agree with that, especially on the offensive front side of things. The loss of Des Bryant will loom to be very large. However, I feel like this is where Ezekiel Elliott has his best season as a professional. And they will seek to get him the ball oh, they, they're 20 plus times him. a game. And I would not be surprised if he led the league in rushing. I really would not this season. And if he's able to do that, and that defense is somehow able to get stops in close games, because I do feel like this is a team that be in a lot of close ball games and contests, especially in a tough and hard-fought 
NFC East as it always is year in and year out. I think this is a team that could possibly finish with a 9-7, if not 10-6 record and a squad that we could surprisingly see in the playoffs. This is a big year for Jason Garrett, a, a head coach who I believe is honestly on the hot seat. Oh, he's got to be. If he if he's not, then then yeah, it's it's he has to be. I've he's one of those guys that I've just never been impressed with as a coach because he's never got something. He's never got anything truly bold dialed up. Like there's 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 just certain things that you can do as a head coach that that really that really like. They they maximize your team's talent. They put the other team on the defensive, and they they speak to your boldness and confidence. And that sort of thing trickles down to the team. I'm thinking of uh, Doug Peterson's call of the uh, of the quarterback rollout reception in the Super Bowl after you know, after uh, Brady after Brady dropped his like that sort of thing. I remember that play. That's that's a bold bold move. But that's a move you have to make. Uh-huh. In a game against arguably the greatest quarterback of all time and the greatest head coach yeah. of all time, in my opinion. Mike McCarthy's onside kick in the uh, in the 2010 Super Bowl that uh, that that sort of turned turned the momentum of that game. Taylor two halves, like those are the kind of things that you can do as a coach. Beyond, of course, the day to day grind that you have to do as a coach, like those are the kind of things that you can do to like set a tone for your team and like kind of build build something between the coaches and the players by by like those are moves that demonstrate confidence and and demonstrate like a sort of a bit of personality to it and that's something that just Garrett I've not gotten from him yeah and I, I honestly believe though like with all that said it's gonna be a very fun year it's gonna be an exciting season and all these teams you know just talking about them it's, it's kind of made me a little bit excited yeah. and eager to see you know what teams are looking like come start a training camp and the preseason leading up to the official kickoff first week of September. Yep. Well, we're going to get you uh we're going to get you back on. Particularly, I'm thinking uh Packers Bears uh in in particular, we'll uh, we're going to need uh we're going to need some Gabriel Wilkins thoughts from uh from that and of course the uh the bye week roundtable. I'm uh, I'm collecting everyone I can for that. Let me know anytime. I'm down. Absolutely, man. Um, that's going to do it for Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. We'll probably take a uh, take another break after dropping a couple of episodes on you right in quick succession. So we'll probably be, we'll probably be. Uh, be August before you hear from us again. Uh, once again, I'm Mike Fleischman. That's Gabriel Wilkins. I'm on Twitter at MP Fleischman. Uh, Cheeseheads in Chicagoland's on Twitter at Cheesecagoland. We have a Facebook group called Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. Follow us there. We're on every podcast service that you can possibly imagine, except the ones that we aren't on, but uh, we are on the important ones. We're on iTunes. We're on Google Play. We're on a bunch of the other podcast apps. Thanks to uh, Anchor.fm is our great podcast host who just does all that for me automatically because I don't know how to work computers very well. Uh, thanks very much for listening. Thank you, Gabriel. And uh, just uh, just one more time before we go, let let folks know if they want to read your writing, if they want to uh, if they want to hear what you're doing. Uh, where where is it all at? You can follow me on Twitter at gtime underscore one. You can follow me on Facebook or add me on Facebook at Gabriel Wilkins. And you can find my work at hoopshabit.com slash author slash G Wilkins. Um, pleasure 
to be here. Thank you for having me on. Oh, man, it was it was great. Thank you so much. All right, uh, that's going to do it for Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. And because Matt Mellumsetter is off in L.A. right now, no one's going to say, stay cheesy, baby. Stay cheesy, baby.